G'day. Welcome to God's Word Today's World, applying scripture to modern life. My name is Dan Van Werkhoven. I'm an Aussie writer and pastor living with my wife on a tiny island called Saipan. Join me today as I dig into scripture and explore how God's Word can still be applied to our lives thousands of years later. Hey, you're listening to episode 8 of the God's Word Today's World podcast. Apologies up front for how terrible my voice sounds this morning. I've had a flu all week and I kind of hoped it would be um, cleared up by the time it came to recording this episode, but it hasn't and so I sound like a frog died in my throat. So I apologize for that and hope that you can still bear with me. So in today's episode, we're looking at the ugliness of sin and the beauty of repentance. We're looking at how living in sin can damage our testimony. But if we repent of sin, if we let the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin and change us, we cease to be slaves to that sin. Instead of our story being one of ugliness and shame, it instead becomes one of God's love, grace, and forgiveness. If you want access to the show notes and the full transcript, you can find that over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen and look for episode 8 on the list. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. But without further ado, let's dig in. Last week in the God's Word Today's World podcast, we had a look at persecution. I define persecution as anything that discourages us from being open about our faith. Anything that discourages us from sharing the gospel in love. We looked at some of the different forms of persecution and what that can look like. Often for us in the West, It's like a rot that slowly corrodes our faith over years. It can be seemingly small things like being ignored in conversation because of our faith, being looked over for a promotion, having rumors spread about us. None of these things physically hurt us. Our life isn't in danger, but our faith is. If we don't recognize the persecution for what it is, We can try to ignore it, and instead of asking our brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for us to have strength and boldness, we try to pretend that what happened didn't hurt, even though it really did. Facing that for years on end can turn a vibrant faith into a dull, lifeless faith that cares nothing for other people just on making it through each day. We also looked at the opposite and the opposite extreme of persecution, physical persecution, threats against the life of a believer. That kind of persecution is more like a furnace. To face that persecution and prevail takes a faith in God and his power and goodness that many of us in the West can't even imagine. Not because we don't have that kind of faith, but because we've not been tested in that way. 
But regardless of what kind of persecution we faced and continue to face, if we're open about our faith, it's likely that we all do face persecution of some kind. The more we're bold and declaring the gospel with love, the more persecution we'll face. Whether it's a slow rot or a furnace, we'll face it. And we need to recognize it and be asking others to pray for us. To pray for us to have boldness and strength and courage in the face of persecution. This week in Acts, we're looking at perhaps a far more sobering story of how our witness can be killed. Our witness, our testimony, can be killed by us. It can be killed by our own sin and refusal to repent of that sin. It can be killed when we refuse to stop sinning for so long that God punishes us for our sin, or sin itself extracts its price. Our passage today is Acts chapter 4, verse 32, through to Acts 5, verses 11. This is the World English Bible. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was on them all, for neither was there amongst them any who lacked, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of those of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to each according as anyone had need. Joseph, who by the apostles was also called Barnabas, which is being interpreted son of encouragement, a Levite, a man of Cyprus by race, having a field sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife, also being aware of it, then brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? While you kept it, didn't it remain your own? After it was sold, wasn't it in your power? How is it that you have conceived this thing in your heart? You haven't lied to men, but to God. Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and died. Great fear came on all who heard these things. The young men arose and wrapped him up, and they carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife, not knowing what had happened, came in. Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. But Peter asked her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. She fell down immediately at his feet and died. 
The young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her by her husband. Great fear came on the whole assembly and on all who heard these things. As we looked at a few weeks ago in episode 4, the believers weren't living in a commune where they were forced to sell their possessions to give to others. They willingly did so because they were a family, and like family, they wanted to take care of those in the family who were suffering, who had less. Some people, like Barnabas, sold entire fields and gave the money to the apostles for them to distribute to those who were in more need than him. A couple, Ananias and Sapphira, saw what was happening, saw the praise that those like Barnabas received, and they wanted a part of that, but they weren't willing to pay the high cost of that recognition like Barnabas had. Not that he did it for the recognition, but his actions were seen by the church. So Ananias and Sapphira sold their property, but kept back a part of the money for themselves. And that was actually okay. Their sin wasn't that they didn't give all the money to the church. It was their property. It was their money. It was their right to do with it what they felt God was leading them to do. If they had just given a single percent of the money to the church, but done so with joyful hearts and with honesty, then fantastic. But instead, they wanted to be praised as having given everything, even though they had only given a part. And so they agreed to lie. That was the sin. They took a beautiful act of sacrifice and they tarnished it with sin with a lie. Instead of honoring God, they mocked God with their lie. Instead of being a witness of God's grace and love to others, they were a witness of selfishness and pride. The result? God punished them for their deceit. Now, it's easy to look at that passage and say, whoa, they lied so God killed them? That's a bit extreme. I mean, I've lied and God hasn't killed me. But what's important to remember here is that this is a new age of the church. Jesus had come, preached love with the truth of who God is, and then died on a cross and was resurrected. He wasn't the conquering king the Jews were expecting. He came at that time as the Prince of Peace. He had a far more important job to do, and that was to defeat death. During this time, I wonder how many new believers, because they knew Jesus came peacefully and because he taught that God is love, thought that they could sin and that sin would have no cost. I wonder how many believers thought that the days of God punishing sin was over. Ananias and Sapphira didn't believe their sin would be punished, and they had to know what they were doing was wrong. The Ten Commandments were pretty well known, and don't lie is kind of one of them. Ananias and Sapphira thought their sin would have no cost, so they lied to God. And they were wrong. All sin has a cost, and God takes sin very seriously. However, 
they were right in one regard. God is love. He loves justice. He loves righteousness. Looking at that story today, though, it's easy to question the extremity of their punishment. Did God really have to kill them both? The answer is simply yes. Why? Because God wouldn't have done it without reason. But let's have a look at why. His power made known. Simply put, God reminded the early church and us that his nature was unchanged. Jesus coming to earth didn't change who God is. He is still the same God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of sin. The same God who sent a flood to destroy everyone but Noah and his family because of sin. The same God who banished Adam and Eve from the garden because of their sin. I suspect some of those early believers fell into the same trap that we do today. They forgot that the God that put their faith in was a holy and perfect God who hates sin. All sin. God used this event as a powerful reminder that no sin is considered small in his sight. God also used that event to show the early church that the apostles were his chosen leaders of the church. They weren't just a bunch of dudes trying to run things because they wanted the status and the power. They were there because Jesus had hand-picked them. Jesus had hand-picked them to live and ultimately die for God. God gave them authority, and that authority was proven through the supernatural miracles they performed, including this one. Wait, something supernatural happened here? It did, yeah. A few things. See, the first thing is, Peter knew that Ananias had sinned and was lying to him, but worse, lying to God. Peter, in this situation, knew Ananias's heart. If you've been reading the series of Judgment that I've been posting on the blog, you remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul makes it clear that only Jesus can reveal what's hidden in our hearts. Only Jesus can reveal and see our motives. We even struggle to determine our own motives. And yet here, Peter knew Ananias' heart. He knew Ananias' motives, not because of his own skill, but because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed to Peter what was hidden in the darkness of Ananias' heart. The message was clear to the early church, and it should be clear to us today. God is real, and he hates sin. Our sin has a cost. See, this event showed that, yes, Jesus did come and give eternal life and pay the eternal punishment for our sins. But he did not come to take the price of sin on earth. The early church heard loud and clear that by willingly sinning, they were courting disaster. They also heard loud and clear 
that God knew their hearts. Nothing could be hidden from him. We follow the same God. Now, 2,000 years later, we need to remember that. We need to remember that we follow the same God. His nature still hasn't changed. He still hates sin just as much, and he still punishes sin. Our sin has a cost, and that should terrify you. The fact that God hates it when we sin should have us doing everything possible to avoid sin. And yet how many of us hear stories like Ananias and Sapphira's and shrug it off saying, eh, it won't happen to me. You know what? I bet Ananias and Sapphira thought exactly the same thing. Nothing's going to happen to us from lying. And is our sin really so important to us that it's worth risking God's wrath for? Is the extra financial reward of lying on our tax return really so wonderful that it's worth risking the wrath of a holy and perfect God? Is lusting after people, watching porn, really worth risking God's wrath? Is spending a few hours drunk really worth risking God's wrath? We may be living in sin right now and have been doing for a long time, and it doesn't look like there's any punishment or cost. But if there's one thing that you take away from today, I hope it's this. All sin has a cost. Whether from God's discipline, because like a good parent, he disciplines those he loves, Hebrews 12.6, or because sin itself ultimately destroys Even if we don't see it in the moment, there's a cost. That cost could come years later, or worse, someone else might be paying the cost for our sin, and we don't see it. Sin destroys, and it doesn't care who it destroys, whether it's us or those around us. Someone will be hurt because of our sin. I'm still paying the price for sinful habits I had when younger. Brittany is still paying the price for my sinful habits. In my teens and early twenties, I was addicted to pornography. I've not lusted after another woman for years now, but I'm still paying the steep cost of that addiction. For the rest of my life, I'll be paying the price for my sin. And worse... For the rest of Brittany's life, she'll also be paying the price for my sin. And I can never undo that. I can't go back in time and slap my younger self upside the head and tell him what an idiot he is. I lived a life of sin, and I'll spend the rest of my life paying the price. But perhaps the worst cost is this. A life of sin destroys our testimony unless we repent of that sin. What kind of a testimony did I have while addicted to porn? I claimed I believed in Jesus, and I did, and yet in the same breath I corrupted my mind with porn until I saw women as objects. I corrupted my mind until I could tell myself that it was okay to watch porn because the women looked like they were enjoying it. 
I corrupted my mind until I could deny the truth, and most of them were there because they were forced into it, some by gunpoint, some by being forced to take drugs until they were addicted and couldn't leave, some because they thought they were moving to another country for a chance at a better life, some because they believed it was the only way they could possibly earn enough money to support their families. Does this story sicken you? Is it repulsive? It breaks my heart that that was me. Until, by God's power, I was freed from that slavery to sin. The truth is, once we dig past the lies we tell ourselves about our sin, that's what all sin looks like. Ugly, harmful, full of hate. To God, all sin is just as disgusting. Could you imagine knowing me in those days and hearing me talk about God's love? What a hypocrite I was. How many church leaders have we heard stories about? Have we seen in the news that they've been found out for some hidden sin? Their reputation is destroyed, and every sermon they've ever preached is questioned, no matter how good, no matter how right that sermon was. Sin is extremely harmful to the gospel. Satan wants to destroy the reputation of anyone who declares God's glory, because if he can destroy our reputation, he can severely harm our testimony and witness. But God is more powerful than sin. God is more powerful than Satan. By his power, a story of a life lived in sin can become a story of God's abounding mercy, grace, and forgiveness. When we, when we repent of our sin and we cry out to God for forgiveness, he forgives us. He washes our slate clean. All because Jesus has already paid the price for our sin. He's taken the punishment we deserve. And all he asks is that we put our faith in him as the holy and righteous son of God, that we repent of our sins. And even more than that, the Holy Spirit then dwells in us and will give us the strength to stop sinning and follow God if we let him. My story now has become one of God's grace and forgiveness. It's only by his power that I'm free of that addiction to porn. But just because God has forgiven me, that doesn't mean the cost has been taken away. That doesn't mean the earthly cost is gone. Even though I've been made pure through what Jesus did on the cross when he paid the eternal cost for sin, My actions have a price here on earth. Sin is ugly. Sin has a cost. Sin harms our testimony. It harms the gospel. It harms our witness. But it is not as powerful as God. It is not as powerful as his forgiveness. Jesus has beaten death itself. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us when we give our lives to Jesus and repent of sin. Jesus' death and resurrection takes the ugliness of sin in our lives 
and washes it away. When we repent of sin, our story changes from an ugly tale of sin to a beautiful tale of God's grace and forgiveness, a story of the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in disciples of Jesus and gives them the strength to repent of sin. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of God's forgiveness, and because of the Holy Spirit's power, I can talk about God's love today. And instead of being terrified that someone is going to find out about my sin, I can boldly proclaim what a horrible person I was, because I'm not that person anymore. Thanks to God. And that's what God does. He takes the ugly and makes it beautiful. I can tell you from first-hand experience just how incredible God's grace is. I mean, he took me, a pathetic kid addicted to pornography and lies, and he made me into someone tasked with delivering his word with fear and reverence. Today, instead of being a slave to my sin, ruled by it, fearing it, waiting for it to be exposed and the shame that would come with that, I'm a slave to God. I can openly talk about my sin because that sin no longer controls me. What once would have destroyed my testimony and could have damaged God's credibility is now the cornerstone of my testimony because it's a personal declaration of how powerful God's love, grace, and forgiveness is. But does that mean I'm glad I was addicted to porn? No. Oh, how I wish I could change that. Remember, I have God's forgiveness, and I'm no longer a slave to that sin, but I am still paying the price, and so is my wife. What changed is that instead of Satan using that sin as a way to enslave me and to damage my witness, through the Holy Spirit's strength, I broke free of that sin, and now God uses it as a testament to his forgiveness, power, and grace. So my challenge this week is take a look at your life. Is there sin in it that you're clinging to? Are you hanging on to a sinful lifestyle because it comforts you? Because it seems to be all benefits and no cost? Are you risking God's wrath for a temporary pleasure? This is not an easy challenge. It takes a lot of prayer and humility and courage. It can be terrifying to give up sin. Sometimes the cost comes when we give up sin, or if we're caught in that sin. And we can use that as an excuse to try keep our sin hidden, but ultimately, the price of sin is death. The cost will find us. But when we take responsibility for our life, for our choices, for our sin, and give it to God, when we repent and turn from that sin, he can turn what was once shameful into something beautiful. He can turn any sin into a story of forgiveness, grace, and mercy. If you have sin you're clinging to, take steps now to give it up before God needs to step in and discipline. Because that discipline will hurt, though it will hurt far less 
than the cost sin will eventually extract. So let's allow God to turn our ugly stories of sin into beautiful stories of forgiveness. Thank you for joining me today on God's Word Today's World. If you'd like to view the show notes or leave a comment, you can find the complete list of all podcast episodes over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Hope to see you next week. Now go apply God's Word to your life.